Acts 20 and verse 32. Acts 20, 32. And now, brethren, Paul writes, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. You know, there's not a caste system in the kingdom of God. I mean, there's Jesus and then there's us. And, and he takes us as far away as from God and raises up and makes us accepted in the family of God. It's just absolutely breathtaking. Now, what I want to do is I want to teach about following a pattern. And uh, I don't know, was, as we look through these scriptures, um, there's, a, there's a tendency always to go with, there's a tendency to always go with the flow to, um, uh, you know, like a kite goes where the wind is pulling. And a lot of churches go with the world. They go what's popular. Christians sort of, they, they change with the culture around them. And we're supposed to follow a pattern. Now, I'm trying to catch up. I, you know, it feels like I've been away for a year, so forgive me. But I want to try and catch up on our theme this month, which is having a biblical church. Uh, a Christian church is not supposed to just do as we please. I mean, we could meet on any day of the week, but we meet on the first day of the week because that's when Jesus rose from the dead, and that was the pattern of the New Testament. We do things that are, that are in the Bible. They met on the first day of the week. As a matter of fact, they met on every day of the week, but Sunday was their biggest day. <clears throat> so I want us to have a biblical kind of church, and that means we need to have a pattern to follow. Now, the modern word for pattern is template. Uh, it's a mold to shape our lives and our church in. A builder will use a blueprint to tell him how long a wall is to be, how high a wall is to be, how, how much of a pitch a roof is to be. That blueprint tells him what to do. A seamstress will use a pattern to cut out a dress. I don't know if anybody makes dresses. There are, probably, there are people who I know that do it. But I mean, in general, who makes clothes anymore? But I, my mom and my wife have spent hours and hours making clothes, and they use a pattern. Me, I just let the scissors go, and I would, take, I would create a terrible monstrosity of something to wear. But a seamstress uses patterns to cut out a dress. We, as Christians, need patterns for our lives, for our families, and especially for our church. Many people will choose to follow the likes of Martin Luther back in the Middle Ages or John Calvin. Some follow Pope Francis and John Paul II. Others will follow their favorite YouTube preacher or televangelist or psychologist. Shouldn't we be following a better pattern? Paul seems to imply uh, that the scriptures are more than enough to fit us for a holy life here. We read there. Look in verse 32 again. Now, brethren, I commend you. And I want you to know he's giving those Christians over to God and to the word of his grace. <clears throat> he says, I'm going to leave you in that care, which is able, is perfectly able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. When I was a child of three, four, five, six years old, I remember my parents going out and leaving us behind. And it was trauma every time because my parents had a babysitter that they would leave us in the care of. And that babysitter was mean. 
That babysitter would see the clock hit 7 o'clock. Okay, time for bed. We go, what? And there was no messing. She would pick us up and put us to bed. It was, she was so mean. But my parents put us into her care. And that was, that was a good thing. But back then, I thought it was a bad thing. Anyway, what, where, did, where, did, where did we find our, our sufficiency? What's taking care of us? Do we have to have a pope? Do we have to have a magisterium? Do we have to have a council? Do we have to have a, a papal decree or, a, or a, 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 a government decree? What is it that we can rest in and follow? Paul seems, and I say that with tongue in cheek, to imply that the scriptures are more than enough. And I aim to prove that that is true. So for the next few Sundays, I want to teach you about what a biblical church ought to be like. Why? So that we can always be one, at least strive to be one. Let's go to verse 17. And by way of background here, in verse 17, from Miletus, this is Luke recording what Paul is doing and what he's saying. And Luke records that from Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they come to him, he said to them, you know what, uh, that, you know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility, humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now behold, I go bound in the spirit of Jerusalem, not knowing the things which shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry, which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the, all the counsel of God. Now, Paul is heading to Jerusalem. He is, his, do, his ship doesn't, uh, um, is, is diverted and stops right outside uh, on a little island called Miletus, just outside of Ephesus. And uh, on a map, if I can just show you, Paul has been on one of his journeys. This is a second missionary journey. He left Jerusalem, headed all the way around, has gone through Greece and, and uh, Macedonia and Achaia, and then has on his way back to Jerusalem. But before he gets there, he takes a diversion. He heads over to Ephesus there. And he stops off in Ephesus, and he calls together the elders. Did you notice that? He calls the elders of the church. Now, I want to just emphasize for a moment, uh, uh, it, was, it would have been impossible for him to call the entire church together because it was tens of thousands of Christians at Ephesus at that time. And if he said, let's have church, it would have been a nightmare. It would have been a mob. So he called for the elders. Now, the elders, I want you to understand, it means a mature believer. That's what an elder is, a faithful consistent, stable, joyful, patient, hardworking Christian man who is 
doing res uh, responsible things in the church, who's taking um, uh, care of ministries, who's doing some leadership role. They're not appointed. They're not paid. They're serving. And he calls for these people that are the mature leaders of a church, and we need that. The last thing we need is to have a church full of people who come and go. That's not a church. A church has people, especially men, who man up and who come and say what needs to be done. And they take and they serve and they work hard and they're faithful. And they don't just do it one week or two weeks, but they do it as long as it is needed. And he calls for the elders, which is very, very important. Then Paul tells him, so, uh, uh, tells him that he's letting go. He's saying, I got to say goodbye, but I'm not abandoning you. It's kind of like a father when his son leaves home and starts his own family and job. You know what the dad says? Bye-bye. <laughs> He's not saying, uh, I'll check on you every day. Now, maybe mom says that, but not dad. All right? Dad says, finally, he's on his way. He's got a job. He's got a wife. He's got a family. He's going to get a house. And Paul is looking at that church saying, guys, I've been with you. As a matter of fact, he'd been with them for three, three years. And he says, and I've uh, night and day, I've worked with you. Now you're on your own. And I'm leaving you in good care. That's the point. Um, he's leaving them in good care. Uh, he tells them that they will be able to stand on their own. They'll be able to do uh, and, and face whatever they face. They're not left in the hands, as I said, of a pope or a church council or a governor or a king, but in the sufficient and perfect care of God in the Bible. I want you to see those two pop up over and over. In simple words, I think I got it here. Nope, I got it. In simple words, Paul is saying for a church to be what they were saved to be and for us Christians to do what God has called us to do, all we need is the Bible and its author. That's all we need. You say, how do we know what to do? How do we know how to handle this situation? How do we know what, what, what is right worship? And all that stuff. The Bible. We come to the Bible and we seek to get the author to teach us what God said. I don't get into a closet and say, okay, God, what do you want me to say? As if I'm channeling. That's, that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity says, Lord, teach me your word so I can teach your people. And that is enough. Then Paul starts to remind all of those people, those Christians, of his testimony. He actually says, look there in verse uh, 18 again. He says, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know me. You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Now, what was Paul doing? Paul was making sure they noticed a pattern in his life. We'll briefly look at these things. These things, each one are a, a, a full hour of thoughts and truths about the Christian life. But I want you to see, he was making sure, he says, guys, I want to remind you of my life because my life, God called to be a pattern for you. Uh, he wanted them to follow that pattern, not just individually. It's nice when there are a few people that come into church and they're on fire and they're excited and they're, they're ready to go. But it's not just for a few, it's for all brethren, it's for all Christians to be excited about serving and living for God. Um, now, uh, 1 Timothy 1.16, I want you to hold your place here, go to the right, 1 Timothy 
116. First <clears throat> Timothy 116. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, speaking of when he got saved, that in me first, as if I'm ahead, I'm 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 like I'm I'm uh, I'm the trailblazer. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. Why? For a pattern, for an example, to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Did you get that? I, God called me to be an example for everyone to follow. That's a scary role. But Paul, all the things that Paul was going through and experiencing were a pattern for us to follow so that we can have the same kind of church that they had in the first century. And that's what I want. I don't want a new kind of church. Now, I love our building. Um, uh, but everyone wants to update everything these days. Uh, you know, I hate online banking. How many of you hate online banking? I mean, the fact you can't get a hold of a human being to help you with your banking is a curse. But everything's updated. Apps constantly update. Windows updates. And everything is constantly changing. Scholars come along and they update or they try to update the Bible. Churches try to stay with the times and try to stay relevant. And they update this procedure. I, I have been in churches where it is as dark as a nightclub and all the lights are blinking and flashing on the front stage and the singing and everybody's raising hands and swinging and going and I walk right out and it was a church. There are churches that have mist flowing around, coming down out of the ceiling as if it's the dew of the Holy Spirit. I don't want that, all right? Now you may call me old-fashioned, but I'm not old-fashioned. I'm a pattern-following Christian. That doesn't mean that we all have to uh, you know, sit out on the ground like Jesus taught his disciples out in, out in the desert. There's nothing wrong with being in a building, nothing wrong with having lights, nothing wrong with using technology. But I must strive to keep to the pattern of New Testament Christianity because if our technology, <coughs> if our music, if our ethos becomes all about us and about our entertainment, and all about the world and not about Jesus Christ and not about a holy living, then we've missed the boat and we've got to make sure we strive to stay according to the pattern. Uh, Jesus said, and I won't take you there, won't take one of time, but Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asks Peter and all his disciples, who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? And some said Jeremiah, some said this, and, but Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, spot on. And upon this truth, this rock, I will build my, what do you call it? Church. And that's what I want to be. I want to be his church, not the world's church, not, not, the, not an Irish church, not an American church, but I want to follow Christ's church. So the Christians at Ephesus had church. As a matter of fact, you go to the book of Ephesus, don't go there, Ephesians, but it says to the church at Ephesus. This was a church, and um, they didn't have a primitive type of Christianity, as if it was undeveloped and needed a lot of work, and, had to, and they all had to iron out a lot of issues and theological wrinkles and problems. And yet, let me say this, every Catholic theologian is taught that the Bible shows primitive Christianity that had not grown up. What? Not at all. 
That's not primitive. It's our pattern. Nothing that we can do today can improve on the pattern of the Bible's description of what a church is. The Christians at Ephesus were a perfect pattern for all churches throughout all time of what a church is supposed to be. They weren't perfect. Don't think that the perfect pattern is, a, is perfect lives. A perfect pattern is so simple and so profound that anyone can do it. That's how wonderful the pattern is. As a matter of fact, the Bible is filled with patterns. We call it patterns of life. Uh, I guess, I'm guessing, 75% of the Bible is story, isn't it? It's, it's telling a story of different people, the lives of hundreds and hundreds of people. And they were all patterns for us to follow. How about young Timothy? Paul tells him to be an example of the believer, a pattern. Young David is he not a great example as he races down to face the giant? Isn't he a pattern for us to follow? How about young Joseph? As he faced off with the hatred of his brothers and then being sold and then being falsely accused, and he's, he's always doing what is right no matter the cost. Isn't that a pattern? These are patterns for us to follow. There are plenty of bad patterns to learn from as well. How many remember a name, guy named King Saul? He's a pattern not to follow. How about Judas Iscariot? How about Demas and Esau? Jesus is the original pattern that we follow. We want to live how he lived. We want to do what he did. We want to understand why he did the things he did. And you know what Paul did? Paul followed Jesus. And then he said these words, if you're still holding your place here in Acts, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse 1. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Go to chapter 4 in verse 16. 1 Corinthians 4 in verse 16. Wherefore I beseech you, I beg you, be ye followers of me. Uh, Philippians 4, 9, one more. Philippians 4 and verse 9. <clears throat> Philippians 4, 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. What's the next word? Do. Whatever you learned from me, you received from me, you heard from me, and you saw in my life, do it. And the God of peace shall be with you. I'm glad God gave us examples. It's, it's really wonderful when you're in a church, and one of the reasons why a church is to give us living examples. But living examples always will let you down. And it's hard to understand why did so-and-so. I, I can't explain why some people do well and some people fail. All I know is this. In the Bible, when I come to the Bible, and when there's an example in the Bible, God always shows why, where things went. They're there for an example. When I read... Uh, stories to my kids years ago, the kind of books that we read to our children 
had a back page and it said, the moral of the story is dot, dot, dot. How many remember those kind of books? I mean, it, they would tell, you know, it would, it would, uh, you'd, you'd read a story of a rabbit and a, and, a, and a turtle. And you're like, what is the big deal? But then the moral of the story is just keep plotting, okay? That's the lesson to learn. And God does the same thing in the Bible. So um, you, 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 you have something in your hand that is invaluable because you don't need to go to Eason's to get it. If you don't have Bible, you can get, it, get one. But you don't find it in the Christian bookstores, uh, all these books that are available. You don't find it at Eason's and all these self-help books. The book you hopefully hold in your hand has all the patterns you need for how to live and how to be a success as a Christian. The truth is, the truth is that we need to follow this pattern. The fact that God gave them to us, our, our, our main verse is, but be ye doers of the word, right? And not hearers only. Why? Because this book shows us a pattern that works. How to be a Bible-believing church. So let's stick with the pattern, okay? Kind of like if you're going to, if you get a, a child, a, a pattern. Um, I remember being a kid, you had to connect the dots. You remember those activities? And you connect the dot, you'd find out, oh, it's a ship. Or it's, uh, you know, a scenery. And, but the purpose of fighting this pattern is to be able to have that pattern to match my life to. And I want it to be yours as well. So, five things real quick. I want you to go back to Acts chapter 20. And I want you to see how to stick with the pattern that God gave us in the Bible. Number one. The first thing we need to do is we need to follow the examples of real people in the pages of the Bible. We just read about it. We just read how Paul was an example. How many remember when Princess Diana was alive? I remember quite vividly that she had that unique haircut. Remember that hairstyle? And how many ladies got their hair cut the same way? It was scary, okay? <laughs> Her outfits, people would copy. They wanted a pattern to follow. They thought she was spectacular, so on and so forth. Well, listen, <clears throat> there is in us a desire to pattern our life out of somebody. That's why kids follow sports stars, some music, musicians, some follow, you know, all kinds of different influences in their life. As a matter of fact, YouTube is one of the biggest curses to this world because it is filled with influencers. That's what they're called. They are titled by Google and by YouTube as influencers because they have millions of people following them. Why is that? Because people yearn to find somebody to be like. Well, a Christian says, I'm going to find my examples of what I'm like and what I want to be like in the Bible. And so God gave us the Bible <clears throat> to show us Paul. There's a pattern in the life of Paul, everything you went through. Luke records... Much of the book of Acts, some at the beginning is about Peter, James, and John, but much of the book of Acts is about Paul for a reason. He had good manners. <clears throat> um, let me go back here. He had right kind of manners. You know what a manner is? It's a lifestyle. It's conduct. We find out what, day, what, what Paul was like on good days and on bad days. Um how he handled fears and problems and frustrations and his successes. We find that with Paul, the gospel was his life. 
That was his manner. Verse 18 says, what manner I've been with you at all seasons. But I want you to see what he says there in verse 18. He says something that is very important for us to learn. That is, he said, I have been with you all. <clears throat> Isn't that different? I was given a book by a pastor friend on mine, of mine in, in Florida, a very dear friend. He gave me a book on the art of pastoring. And he talks about two things. The first half of the book is all the things that go along with the church and, and how to stay focused on the simplicity of keeping the church simple and things to do. But the second half is be with your people. Don't do, do, do without just being. A pastor doesn't always have things to say. Sometimes a pastor just needs to sit and weep and do nothing but pray and hold on. The art of pastoring isn't all just, you know, preaching. Sometimes it's just being there. And Paul says, when, I, when, when you look back at my life, I want you to remember I was there. I was not a YouTube preacher. I was not a, a televangelist. I was not sitting on a throne over in the Vatican. I was there with you. <clears throat> um, he says in, over in 1 Corinthians 2, 3, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I hope you know that there are times when I don't know what to do. And we're all overwhelmed. Amen. That's being together. Uh, we need to be with each other. Church is about gathering together. That's why this is so important. I don't know how we're going to put everything back together, but my main goal and my main effort now is putting back together a fractured church. I mean, we now have, we are at two church services, and I'm happy. I'm not complaining at all, but I want one church, don't you? I want us to be one body that when we see each other, we go, who's that? <laughs> oh, 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 I remember. <clears throat> no, no. We need, look, he says, I've been with you, and we need, uh, Hebrews 10, 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. There are some times where we are kept away from each other, but boy, we should never keep ourselves away. He goes on and he gives his purpose there in verse 19. He says, serving who? <clears throat> now, we talk about serving people, but you know what happens when you serve people? You get wore out. You get tired. You you. You pick up their attitudes. So if you only serve people, if you only, I guarantee you, you come to church, you get here early, and you're setting up chairs, and you're, you're here for prayer on Saturdays, and you do, 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 and you're doing it all for people, you will get tired and you'll quit. But what was Paul's purpose? He had one purpose, to serve Jesus. So that when you do something, it's as if you're doing it unto Jesus. <coughs> Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Everything. Paul tells us the perfect purpose we have is to serve the Lord Jesus. He tells us about his, his hardships and troubles continuing. He says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. When he says that, he's not just saying, I am so humble. <laughs> he's not saying that. He's saying, I am so defeated. I am so at the end of myself. I have nothing to brag about. <clears throat> I can, I can only tell you there's nothing of me that I can boast about. With all humility of mind is he has nothing he can look back on and say, oh, I, I, I was this or I was that. No, I was not important at all. With all humility of mind, 
And then he goes through the troubles he went through, not the successes. He went with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. That's his, that's his hardships and his trouble. The most successful Christians who've ever lived had some of the darkest times you would never want to know about. I know of missionaries who lost their wives after just a few years on the mission field, and they kept going. Wives of Ananiah Judson, my hero, my missionary hero back in the late 1700s, early, 18, early 1800s, uh, he lost his first wife and several kids had to bury them on the mission field. When they left America and they packed everything into these barrels, they, it would be decades before they could possibly come back. And he lost almost everything. The, uh, there was a war that went on and, uh, between the, br the, the British and the um, uh, Myanmar now is Burma, and the Burmese and, uh, over opium. And the Burmese caught and captured every Englishman and put him in prison. You know what prison was for him? A hole in the ground that was about four feet into the ground with a, a roof on it. They put him inside there and left him there for months. He never got to see the light of day except through a little slit. His wife would come and be allowed to visit him once every week or every two weeks. She would bring a pillow. <clears throat> Do you know what was in the pillow? Paper and a pencil and pages of scripture that he would, in the bare light <clears throat> of, of that slit, he would translate and he would spend his time translating the Bible into Burmese. It is still the Burmese Bible to this day that was translated under intense sorrow. And I mean, the heat in that box was unfathomable. So every week or so, he would put it all into his pillow that he was sleeping on and swap out the pillow and get a new pillow full of papers and he would continue his right. I'm gonna tell you, many tears. There was no joy in, 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 in that service. He was serving Jesus. <clears throat> Sorrow, tears, temptations. Believe me, Paul was tempted to quit. Just like anybody is who ever tries to do something for the Lord. He was tempted to go with the world. He was tempted to give up. He was tempted in all points just like we are. <clears throat> Truth is this, the will of God and hardship always go hand in hand. That's okay. All they that live godly shall suffer persecution. So go with it. Then he talks about his ministry. Look at verse 20 and 21. He says, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Now he gets excited. He says, I, I didn't hold anything back. Verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's all. He didn't preach vestments and, and uh, um, um, uh, uh, what is it where they pray all night? Um, my goodness, I can't think of... Uh, uh, I can't think. But anyway, all of, he wasn't talking about all the things that we normally associate with all the efforts of church. He just says, you know what this world needs? Repentance toward God and just faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That was his ministry. Jump down to verse 26. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. He didn't go, you know, I'm, I'm not going to work on that person or I don't like this person or that person looks too hard. Everybody he met he gave him the gospel. and verse 21, he gave it all to them. Verse 27, sorry. For I have not shunned. I have not hesitated. I have not held back to declare unto you all the counsel of God. <clears throat> so what was he doing? 
He showed a life of ministry at full throttle. I've only, I've only actually been driving super fast in two times in my life, okay? Well, three times when I was unsaved. But then after I got saved, pulled it back somewhat. But when we went to, uh, we went to, um, we took our kids to Legoland over in England and we got on the motorway in, in, in Wales and I'm telling you, nobody went, fat, went slower than 85 miles an hour on that road. And I kept up with them, and it was terrifying. The, the lorries were going that fast, everything. It was crazy speed. <clears throat> and the other time was when we went to Germany. We were going to Austria, and we got on the Autobahn. And that speedometer, I mean, the cars were passing us like we were sitting still. So I sped up and clipping up, clipping up 100, 110, 120. And then I pulled back, and I said, this, I'll die. But you know, that may be dangerous to live that way in a car, but that is not dangerous to live as a Christian. Live full throttle. Live like this is all we've got, folks. Because it may be. The Lord could come back tonight, and I'd rather be living full out. So give everything. When you give the gospel, don't hold back. When you love someone, love them with all your heart. When you, when you serve the Lord, serve with every fiber of your body. Paul taught and he preached and his, that it, it, it turned the world upside down. Can we not do the same? I want that kind of church, and I hope you do too. When it comes to preaching, you say, keep going. That hurt, but I need it again. <laughs> That's the kind of church we need. His next steps were kind of cute. Verse 22, he finishes up and he says, And now behold, I go bound in the spirit of Jerusalem, not knowing the things that, uh, that shall befall me there. I don't know what's ahead there, except, save, that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, as I'm going on my way home, saying that bonds, that's chains, and afflictions abide me. I don't know what's ahead, but it looks bad. Verse 25, and now, I'm sorry, verse 24, but none of these things move me. They don't, they don't stop me. They don't change my direction. Neither count on my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25 finishes, And now behold, I know that ye all, <clears throat> one, the one thing I know is that among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, ye shall see my face no more. His next steps we're uncertain. I just know this. Whatever God calls you to do, stay with it to the end. Even when God says, whoop, it's going to get hard. Uh, you, you won't be with your friends for a little while here. You, they, they may be on their own. You're going to be on your own. But they'll be okay and you'll be okay. His next steps stayed in the will of God. <clears throat> That's the pattern that we, can, we should follow, folks. That's the pattern. Now, I'm telling you, how do I follow that pattern? Well, I look for the patterns and I see the life and I say, that's what I want to be like. That's what I want to do. But then I want you to major on the three purposes of a church. What is it that we come together for on a Sunday? To have a biblical church. Look at verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves. Nope, that's not what I want. I want... Um, Yes, this is right. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. What are Christians called in a church? A flock. A flock of what? Geese? What are we a flock of? Sheep. We're a flock of sheep, okay? That's why 
A, shepherd, uh, a pastor is like a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he says, take heed. I want you to pay close attention to yourselves, and I want you to care for the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. Not lords and masters and bullies, but just overseers, coaches, managers. And I want you to feed the church of God. That's the first thing. First ministry we have is to feed believers. A church full of unsaved people is not a church, is it? It may be an evangelistic meeting, but it's not a church. A church is a place full of believers. And my purpose is to feed you, <clears throat> not to entertain you. Eric will tell you, my jokes are worthless, so I don't even try anymore, amen? So when it comes to coming to church, you come hungry. You come and you say, all right, pastor's first job is to feed me. Now, not spoon feed. I can't explain everything, and I'm not going to sit and just spoon feed you, but I'm going to make it so that you go, mm, that was, mm, that was good. Boy, I understood something today. Boy, I learned something today. Second thing he goes on, he says, verse 29, For I know this, <clears throat> that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. What does that mean? What do wolves do to sheep? They eat them. And among, look at verse, uh, verse 30, Of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things that draw away disciples after them. Not just people from outside, not just YouTube, but from our own midst can men arise, especially, and even in this day, women, who will bring in uh, false doctrines and sin and things that can defile and can ruin a church. So the, the three purposes of a church, first is to flee, feed the flock of God, which is what we do when we teach and we preach and we we get the word of God into the hearts of God's people. Second one is protecting the flock of God. That's warning, exposing all the frauds out there. Sometimes it is right for me to name names and say that is wrong. That person is not somebody that is, that is trustworthy. You can learn from so-and-so and so-and-so. And so and so. Amen, that's all fine, but watch out for so-and-so. Paul did it, and that is my job to warn. That's why I tell you, don't watch the news every day. You could probably watch it once a week and know everything that everybody else knows because it doesn't change. There's no good news coming on that television. And the more you watch it, the more you're obsessed with it, thinking, oh, there's something here for me. No, it's an adrenaline rush. It's a dopamine rush. And you got to step back and go, that's not, that's causing me to fear. And Christians don't live afraid. So I warn about that because I protect. My goal is to protect and my purpose is to protect you. And the second, and the third, third purpose is to add to the flock. A flock that does not evangelize will, will fossilize. Is that not true? If it's just us, and if we don't care about our world going to hell, everywhere Paul was going, he was always getting people saved and getting them into church and getting them baptized, getting them growing, serving, and you keep going, keep doing that. Those are our three main purposes. It's not that big a deal. It's not that complicated. That's our purpose as a church. And isn't that what Jesus did? When Jesus sat down with his disciples, what was he do? He was teaching them, wasn't he? He taught them. He says, you've heard this. Let me tell you what that's talking about. Remember this scripture. Let me tell you what he's talking about. And he taught and he protected. He warned them. He says, you do what the Pharisees say because they're in Moses' seat of authority, but don't do as they do. And he stood up, he called them hypocrites, and he warned, and he says, 
Watch out that you don't become like the Pharisees. He warned and he added, he went after the Samaritan woman, didn't he? It was, nobody went after Paul with the gospel. Jesus did, didn't he? Jesus said, Paul, well, Saul, Saul, you ready to get saved? Third way to follow and stick to the pattern is don't look beyond the Bible. And this is the main focus. This is where I started this, this thought here in verse 32. When he gets to verse 32, he says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is perfectly able. I'm just adding the word perfect because it's true. Which is able to build you up. That means to mature you, to strengthen you, to equip you, and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. The truth is this, all we need to live victorious, holy lives, God has already given to us. We never needed a building. We really don't need this building. If it were taken away from us, this building is not what we need to live victorious Christian lives, is it? We never need any money. We really don't. Money, if we all of a sudden got 100,000 euros, would that make us a better church? Would that give us more victory over sin? We don't need money. We don't need our building. We don't need approval. We don't need technology. We don't even need a lot of people. What did Jesus have? He had 12. He said, fear not, little flock. <laughs> there wasn't a zillion people there. When he had a zillion, he had to run them off because all they were there was for free food. What did they need? Only two things. All they First century Christians and 21st century Christians needed was the Bible they were holding in their hands and the author of the Bible. All we need is God and his word. That's why we put a lot of emphasis on prayer. That's why we put a lot of emphasis on Bible teaching and on preaching and on Bible, Bible. Bi why do we always have to have the Bible, Pastor? Because that is our pattern. It'd be terrible if we come to church and we say, all right, um, uh, Gavin, we want to be like you today. That'd be terrible. That's not a church. What is it that we need to be a church? We need the Bible and we need the author. Isn't that neat that every time you read the Bible, the author of the Bible is right there with you and is trying to teach you, trying to show you something, trying to talk to you. In simple words, the Bible is more than enough for a church to be a church like Jesus started. I have known all kinds of different churches. And when I say that, I mean some churches meet at 3 in the afternoon on a Sunday. Some churches have, you know, uh, men sitting over here and women sitting over here. Some churches have head coverings. Some churches, you know, have the Lord's Supper every Sunday uh, uh, morning. Some churches have uh, all those kind of things. Let me tell you this. They're all churches, and they're all doing just fine. We don't all have to be exactly like one another, but we all have to be patterning our church after the Bible. And it's wonderful because that is all we need to be a church. Look at your Bible. I'll show you this. Look what the Bible can do in verse 32. You may not have noticed it, but the Bible can do three wonderful things for you. Number one, it says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able, number one, I'm sorry, I want to start with the word of his grace. I commend you to the word of his grace. Not just the word of God, but what is grace doing in there? For by grace are you what? Saved. 
not out of yourselves. It is the gift of God. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God. So when he gives, when God gave us the word of his grace, it's not the word of his laws. It's the word of his saving grace. This book saves souls. Secondly, it matures souls. It says, which is able to build you up. You ever had somebody come along and tear you to shreds? Remind you of something you did to them? Say things and walk away from you and tear you down? You feel like you could crawl under the belly of an ant. Well, God, God's word is able to build you up. Aren't you glad for a Bible? Aren't you glad when you look that you get hope, that you get encouraged? And does one other thing. It makes saints out of us, makes us holy. And to give you an inheritance, raise you up to a level among all them which are already saints, which are sanctified. And that is more than enough. So don't ever think, well, pastor, I read this book on, on, on church growth. And I'm constantly, you know, watching people read these books on church growth. And they say, you need this, you need it. Actually, there were churches that were taught in the late 1980s and early 1990s by a guy named Rick Warren and Bill Hybels and others, and I'll expose those names for clarity. And these guys said, if you have a church and you have an older set of people that don't want the newer music, and that newer music is going to be necessary to reach the newer generation, you need to slowly push out the older folks. That's what the books said. I don't read those books. I don't agree with those books. As a matter of fact, the most stable church has all ages and everyone feels welcome and everyone knows they're safe. I don't care whether they're entertained or not. They know it's not going to be a clown circus one day and, and a funeral the next day. This, this Bible is all we need. And all of these new books that tell you how to grow your church and how to reach the next generation, I, I have some books on how to talk to a millennial. I actually have a book on how to reach millennials. I still don't understand how to do it. <laughs> I just try to give the Bible. I just try to love somebody. I listen to them. I sit with them. I tell them I'm here if you want to talk. That's all I can do. And that's all, and that's more than enough. But it goes on. He keeps going on. Please, my point of this next few messages are this Bible is our pattern. This Bible is all we need to be what we're supposed to be as a church. Um, but we need to pay the same price Paul paid. It's no easy job we're doing. Look in verse uh, 33. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. That sounds unusual. <laughs> you know what? Religion is usually a big money pot, isn't it? There's a lot of money you can make if you want to start another religion. <laughs> If I wanted to call, if I wanted to start the Ledbetter rights, we meet at 11 p.m. on Thursday nights. Hey, come on. But you know what? There is money to be made if you want to say you come to heaven by eating tacos. I don't know. People will pay for religion. You know what Paul says? I don't take advantage of that. I've coveted, I have sought no man's money, no gold, no silver, which meant what? That he often went without anything. He paid the price. You know, the, the Vatican is worth billions upon billions upon billions of euros. 
I know televangelists who have hundreds of millions of euros worth of houses and cars and bank accounts. You think that's right? You think that matches the Bible? And it's not just in Western civilization, it's not in Western society only, it's all over the world. All religion brings in wealth to the leaders and poverty to the followers, but not in biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity gives money away and we even give our lives away. He says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or pearl, verse 34. Yea, yourselves, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities. What is he saying? I worked. I got a job. I paid my own way. And I met the necessities of them that were with me. I worked. Verse 35, I have showed you all things. I've been an example to you of all things. How that so laboring you ought to support those who can't work, the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. A biblical church will give away money. That's why, listen, you say, what's the purpose of the tithe? So that we can pay our bills, so that we can stay here, so that we can reach here, so that we can reach our area. Well, why do we give to missions? So we can send families to go and reach places we can never go to. But we give money away. We, 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 we give so that we can stay here and we can reach here and so that others can go there and stay there and reach there. We do it. The government has taken over almost every area of our life. They pay for everything. Don't let souls be the responsibility of the government. They're our responsibility. Do you know we always get more out of it when we give away things? You ever notice that? You get more than we give away. So let's pay whatever the cost. Paul, it cost his life. Do you know what he says at the end of his life? He says, I'm ready to be offered. And when he said offered, he means killed. He was about to be beheaded. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I've kept, I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And he says, you know, after all of this suffering, after enduring everything, the last few years of his life, he never got out of prison. He was in prison. And it says this. It says, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but also unto all them that love is appearing. It's going to cost sometimes some extra money that, that you could have used for something else. You say, you know, Lord, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to put missionaries in that pot. I'm going to take care of them. And maybe it might cost me my very life, but I want to be willing, Lord, to give, to give, to give. And when you pay the same price that Paul paid, you can expect to experience the same priceless blessings that Paul did. Verse 35, he, he says it at the end. The Lord Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I think we're blessed as a church now, aren't we? Look at where we're at. We have carpet. <laughs> These walls are beautiful. Remember when we first started meeting in here? I danced. You guys didn't see me. But I danced. I raised my hands. I praised God. I said, what a gift. I remember, remember we had the apex in here? It was freezing during the winter. And the rain sounded like, like, like a train on the, <laughs> on the ceiling and everything. And, but it was beautiful. And then we've been able to do this work. And it has been a gift. That keeps giving, isn't it? Aren't we blessed? Look at who we have. Listen, I just stepped away for three months and I'm back and look who's still here. This is a miracle that we experience and that we have. 
It is more blessed. When we just, the fact that our missionaries, <clears throat> we know Brother Pereira with health has had to step back and we're going to continue to support him for quite a while just because it's very discouraging when your health is at you. You need to have some consistency and some love from, from the churches that have been supporting him. But isn't it wonderful? Our missionaries are just staying and going and preaching and winning souls. We are blessed. The world may look at us and go, there you are. I mean, what excitement is there? I don't know. Come to Bible Club, you'll see that. But as a church, we're blessed. I mean, we've, been we've been blessed with good health through this entire coronavirus. Is this not cool? To have a biblical kind of church, we need a pattern. A proper pattern. What pattern are you following? I know the pattern I want to follow. I want to follow the pattern of real people in the pages of the Bible. So when you read about David, learn from him. Yes, there's some things you need to go, whoa, that was wrong. But isn't it wonderful? You can clearly see that. Do you think God says, oh, by the way, here's David and Bathsheba. That's not a bad thing. God gives you the clarity to know that was wrong. And then you can see him as he writes the Psalms and as he determines to trust God in the face of such heartache, that that's right and a good example. We need the examples of real people in the page of the Bible. We need to major on learning how to feed the flock. So if there's anything you could ever do in church, start with, can I help to make sure somebody gets the gospel? That's why we use gospel tracts. I know a lot of people don't even read today. If it's not visual, if it's not multimedia, I don't know how they're ever going to read anything. But we still try because we want to feed people with the gospel. And we want to feed each other, feed with truth. Sometimes it's nice to just get along and say, you know, I read something and it really blessed my heart. This, this scripture here, maybe it'll be a blessing to you. What you just did, if you just shared that scripture, it fed them. Then protect one another. Can you take that serious? The devil would love to come in and pull the rug out from under us and cause division and, 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 and uh, uh, innuendos and um, whispering. Protect one another. This flock is the apple of God's eye. He wants us to protect what we have and who we have and add to it. Need you to go out and hand the gospel track, invite somebody to church, hear the gospel, or at least read the gospel track. The first couple of times I ever went soul winning, all I ever did was I said, can I show you what God says? And I just read the gospel track to him. It works. You don't have to be smart. You just have to read the track to him. Let's add to the church. Wouldn't it be nice to have another guy just like Gavin next? No, no, not like Gavin. Wouldn't it be nice? I mean, honestly, every one of these chairs should be full. Amen. And then some. Don't look beyond the Bible for our pattern. Don't look at other churches. There are churches in Cork, and maybe they got 300. Some of them got this. And some. I, I, I praise God for everybody gets saved. I praise God Christ is preached. I praise God for the freedom of religion to have churches. That's not my bother. But I'm not in competition with them. You know what I am? I want to follow a pattern. And if that will, if, if, if I will just believe it works, guess what? It will. Because it worked for the first century, which is our pattern century. I believe it will work for the 21st century. <clears throat> We're going to have to pay the price, which means not only do we give up our time on Sunday morning, but also Wednesday evenings, Saturday evenings, our time with our families, we make sure is biblical. We make sure our lives fit, fit that pattern. We pay the price, and we can expect to experience the same priceless blessings 
of God. I believe it. But let me ask you a couple questions real quick. Are you a member of this church? Just because you come doesn't mean you're a member. You need to ask. You need to want to be, you know, I want to make this my church. And I'll ask you for the next few weeks, I'll ask you to consider making this your church. As a matter of fact, do you like what you see? Say, well, I like everybody except somebody. Ah, don't, don't go that way. Don't go that way because I'm sure they could point to you. But do you like what is going on, how simple and what we try to do here? Well, this group of born-again believers wants to follow the pattern of the Bible. That's all we want. And I hope that's what you want. Just, if you're not a member of the church, you can join. You just need to ask me. I give you the membership. You look at it and you go, yep, that's exactly what I want to do. <clears throat> just make sure you're qualified. Oh, what's your qualification? You got to be born again. You need to be scripturally baptized. Well, I was baptized as a baby. You just got wet. You need to be scripturally baptized. And you need to agree and say, this is my church. You get to choose this. Did you hear how Mary Robinson, I got to close with this. Mary Robinson exposed and said the Catholic Church is violating a fundamental human right by assigning a religion to a child at birth. Did you hear her say that? She was, she was announcing that the Catholic Church should not have the ability to make a child a Catholic. The child needs to be able to grow up and choose. That's Bible. The Bible says you must choose to believe. Isn't that amazing? Here they are. The world is finally catching up with the Bible. It is not right to say you're this or you're that. No. What, what Jesus says is, will you follow me? That qualifies you. Father, let's, let's stand. Let's pray. Father, this morning we're looking at <clears throat> a pattern, actually several patterns. It's a lot to take in, a lot to digest, but it is very necessary. In this one series of scriptures is our pattern for not only Christian life, but also for church. And we would do well to take it very seriously that the, um, the work we've got to do is to fit in that pattern, not go outside of the lines like when we are kids and we were coloring. No, we need to stay within the lines. We need to stay in the pattern. I pray we would, God. I pray that you would bless as we, whatever it costs, maybe, maybe build with you and work with you and love what we have here because we want to have a biblical church. And if there's somebody who's not saved, if they just come to church, I'm glad they're here. What a shame, because one of these days the church is going to leave. We're going to disappear, and they're going to be left behind. Don't let that happen. Don't let any of our loved ones miss the opportunity, especially today, of crying out to Christ and getting saved. All they got to do is ask. All they got to do is want. It's repentance toward God. You're a sinner. You need to accept that and, and, and hate it and say, I want to be saved. And then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and he will save. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.